Tonight we are starting a brand new series uh, that's going to take us through the rest of the semester. And we're going to be looking at the I Am statements of Jesus from the Gospel according to John. And uh, these I Am statements that Jesus is making is not necessarily for the sake of like I Am, uh, for example, the bread of life, just for the sake of a standalone statement. But he's making them to uh, the people that he's ministering to to try and get them to uh, understand that their attitudes, their actions, and ultimately their hearts need to be called into question. Uh, he's challenging life as the people knew it. And they knew, of course, that the, that the Messiah was coming along and that he was going to set his people free one day, uh, but they didn't think it was going to be anytime soon. Um, if God's people knew anything, it was that they were experts in, in waiting. And so when Jesus comes on, onto the scene, he begins making these statements. He begins doing these miracles and uh, showing his power and all this. And the people's suspicions and curiosity begin to stir up. And um, they begin thinking, you know, can this actually be the one that we've been hoping for and believing for? Or will they see him as more like a lunatic or a fraud? And so tonight we're going to look at the first of the statements that Jesus makes from uh, the gospel according to John on the I am statements and it's the I am the bread of life and uh, to help illustrate that our very own David Lau has baked bread for such an occasion thank you David yeah so before we get into the passage I want to tell a story uh, have you guys ever had your expectations get totally smacked in the face by your reality you expected one thing, all right, a couple of hands. Uh, you, you expected one thing and then totally something different happened and it wasn't the way you planned it at all. I want to tell you about such a story that happened to me. I want to tell you about the story of my very worst date. <laughs> the worst date I've ever been on. Was it with Brooke? No, it was not with Brooke. <laughs> yeah, so several years ago I'd been talking to this girl and we had hung out enough to know that we liked each other well enough to be uh, mutually exclusive boyfriend and girlfriend, but we had not been on any official dates uh, at the time. And so I decided that we needed to have an official date. And uh, the reason for this was because I was thinking we need to have our first kiss. And uh, that was my expectation. And it just so happened that the county fair was in town. Any fair fans here? All right, a few of you, all right. Uh, you know, you've got your produce contest, who can grow the biggest squash, pumpkin, whatever. Uh, you got livestock, you've got funnel cake, uh, you got corn dogs, you got cotton candy, popcorn, all this like good stuff that's going to make Zach Burke a very prosperous dentist. <laughs> um, you've got uh, live bands, demolition derby, rodeo, and you've got the rides, all right? Um, and I'd take my girlfriend to the fair and we decide we want to ride the rides. And we talked about it before about what we liked, what we didn't like. She didn't like the rides that that have a lot of height to them. I don't like the rides that cause you to spin around a lot. I, I'm terrible with motion sickness. And so uh, we bought our tickets at the, at the ticket stand and I decide that we're gonna ride the drop zone. Mm. And the drop zone is the one where it goes up really high and it's like you're in a wheel or something and then it just drops you down. Um, 
we yeah we we ride that and she's freaking out a little but ultimately does fine and i applaud her efforts and i'm saying great job you you managed to hang on and and you're doing okay you can pick the next ride and this is where uh things begin going downhill for our date she picks a ride called the zipper and the zipper is like the one that's like i don't know if it's the same everywhere but for us the zipper was the one that was kind of like in the shape of like a paper clip and there's like all these little cars around and the whole thing is spinning and okay yeah so you guys know what i'm talking about it is the most awful ride for those that deal with motion sickness okay yes retweet thank you um you know the ride stops and it goes in reverse it's notorious for people to throw up on and it's one of those ones where like if you throw up there's a very good chance that it'll come back and hit you in the face that's how bad it is well we ride that ride and i'm like screaming and praying out to jesus the entire time the ride's in motion and she's like seth shut up and i'm like jesus help me help me jesus help me it's awful it's awful i do not throw up though i do not throw up um but i decide that after we get off the ride i'm like okay i need my stomach to be where it's supposed to be in my body and we need to rest for a little bit and so we go and watch some of the rodeo until i'm ready to ride rides again and so um after i feel okay i decide let's go and ride something simple let's go ride the ferris wheel because how bad can that be right the ferris wheel we ride is really tall it, it almost looks exactly like this where the seats are kind of like facing inward instead of outward and um we get on and i'm thinking okay this this is potentially my expectation this is potentially where we could share our first kiss you know at the top and it's it's all lit up like this you know looks really nice yeah romantic right um so we get on and the ride starts going around and you know as it gets closer to the top she's again getting nervous and getting a little scared because of, again of the heights thing but then she starts looking over at me uh, a couple times and then she's she begins asking uh seth are you okay and I'm, I'm like yeah i'm i'm good i'm fine going around again and again seth are you okay yeah of course going around again seth are you all right i'm fine quit asking me okay go around one more time seth and before she can even finish asking the question i'm leaning over the side of the car throwing up now here's the thing i have to be careful because on one side of the ferris wheel there are people below us and so as i'm throwing up i have to hold it in my mouth because i do not want to throw up on them but on the other side it's wide open and i can throw up freely it's great yeah pretty gross um and so the guy he he notices that throw up is falling from the sky the guy manning the ride he puts the ride in reverse he gives me a look he doesn't even say anything he gives me a look and says almost the look says what the blankety blank did you just do to my ride and so we left the fair not soon after that and she says i got a friend coming to pick me up you don't need to take me home um which was great because I, I kept throwing up that night. It was it was awful. And so, though we had expected our, our first kiss, uh, it was far from that. My reality was I'm going home sick. And not even long after that date, we broke up. 
Yeah, yeah. Now, I know I can't be the only one uh, when it comes to having my expectations met by what my reality is. Can any of you guys relate to setting good expectations and then having your reality um, smashed by your, um, you know, whatever happened to you? Um, maybe you didn't go on a, a terrible first date, uh, but maybe your expectations on a certain grade, certain class, looking at you, Mr. French. Every single week, I love Great, awesome. Um, maybe your reality was that there wasn't necessarily enough time to dedicate toward that test or that class and your grade grade reflects that. Um, maybe you had expectations of coming to college and um, finding a serious boyfriend, girlfriend, and you're met with the reality that it's actually a lot harder than it seems. And this is unofficial, we haven't talked about it as a staff yet, but uh, potentially next semester we we'll be talking about dating and relationships as part of our sermon series. So come back in the spring. That's right. Um, whatever your expectations are, I, I think we can all agree that our realities can sometimes match up, what, up with what we expected and sometimes uh, they, they don't. For the most part, they don't. They're quite different. When Jesus was walking the earth and ministering to the people, um, he ran into this exact same problem. The crowds that follow him have certain expectations of him of what he's going to do, uh, but the realities they find challenge them to their very core. And tonight's passage is uh, such a dichotomy, and we're going to look at it here tonight. Uh, the words will be up on the screen. Um, if you want to open your Bible app, you can. Um, if you want to start bringing your Bibles with you, that's also cool too. Um, be reading John chapter 6 verses 22 through 35 and it starts out this way it says the next day the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there they also saw that Jesus had not gotten into the boat with the disciples but that his disciples had gone away alone then some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks so when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now before we 
talk a little bit about this, we kind of need to give it a little bit of context. Really, this whole chapter needs to be talked about, but it's 71 verses, and we're only here for uh, an hour and a half, and we've already used um, most of that hour already. And so, um, so I'll, I'll do my best to summarize, but um, it would be really great for you to go and read the whole chapter 6 uh, on your own sometime. It's great. Um, and so this story, you may, if you're familiar with the Bible, you may uh, have heard of it. If, if you aren't familiar with the Bible, you still may have heard of it. It's one of Jesus' uh, more well-known miracles, the feeding of the 5,000. And um, to summarize, you can go to the next picture there, Tyler. There we go, feeding the 5,000. Uh, to summarize, a multitude of people had been hanging around Jesus all day, and he knew they were hungry and no one had thought to bring a lunch except uh, a little boy who had only about five loaves and uh, two fish, equivalent basically to a couple Lunchables. I was always partial to the pizza one that had the chocolate frosting and the M&Ms that you can make a dessert pizza. Anyway, so Jesus praises the Father, the people eat their fill, and the, di- the disciples go and collect 12 baskets full, which is crazy. Um, And verses 14 and 15 in John chapter 6 say that when the people saw this, um, they wanted to take Jesus by force and make him king. And for them, his miracles and his power was enough for them to believe in him. Not necessarily for the right reasons, though. Um, They were enough, his miracles and power were enough for them to make him king and get him to liberate them from Roman rule. But the problem is, this is not Jesus' plan, so he leaves. And the crowd then decides, hey, we need to go uh, search for him. He walks on water and gets to the other side, and that's a really cool story. But again, we don't have time to talk about it, so we won't. Um, and when they find him, they say, oh, it's, it's good to see you again, Jesus. When, when did you get here? Like we just read uh, a few moments ago. And Jesus doesn't even address their question. Um, He gets more to the heart of what they're after. And he says, you're you're after me because you saw the miracles I did. You're after me because uh, you're seeing me like we see top of Lenore, like endless supplies of food, buffet, go back for more and more and more. No kale cake though. They serve that in hell. He says, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And they say, okay, cool, we can do that, uh, but what signs are you going to give us? You know, our, our boy Moses gave our ancestors manna from heaven, uh, as it says in the scriptures. And the dialogue really comes to a head with the crowd and Jesus uh, when, he, when Jesus says something to the uh, effect of, you know, if, if you're so fixated on food, I'm going to go along with it to help you understand. And that's a really cool thing about Jesus is that he's able to talk to us in ways that we can understand. He says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. And so for for this crowd of people that were hanging on to Jesus' words and, and his teaching and then being fed by him, uh, their expectations, expectations versus reality, 
their expectations were they saw a potential king, not necessarily the Son of Man. Uh, they saw bread and power, but not necessarily what they signify. And they saw the crowd's curiosity, appetites, and political ambitions. All those things had been aroused in their hearts, uh, but not necessarily their faith. They didn't know it right then, but the reality that Jesus was offering them far exceeded anything that they could set their hearts and minds on in that moment. And the crowd's response to Jesus' teaching was essentially they couldn't handle it. Uh, in, verses, or in verse 54 it says, Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Now, one thing to note about this is that there's no necessarily magic formula or um, not necessarily any cannibalism being um, portrayed in Jesus' words when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, because we must take in Jesus' teaching holistically. In verses 34 or 35, uh, Jesus says, whoever comes to me will never be hungry. In other words, eat my flesh. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In other words, drink my blood. And the crowd's response is recorded in verse 60. When many of these people heard this, they said, this is actually really difficult. Um, who can accept it? Now, the Greek word for difficult here is basically intolerable or offensive. Um, why was it necessarily intolerable for them to hear? Um, you can go to the next slide there. Yep, so uh, it was intolerable for them to hear because they were basically more interested in food, as it says in verse 26, political messianism, and manipulative miracles. They were unprepared to relinquish their own authority. Uh, they were offended by the claim that Jesus was making that he was greater than Moses, because Moses was like ultimate for them besides God, of course. And they didn't really like his extended use of bread. The, the whole eat my flesh part was really messing with them. Of course, you know, if I were there, I would also probably be messed up too. I'm like, what, Jesus? What are you saying? Um, and so as a result, a lot of the crowd leave him. And it's basically down to, down to the 12. And Jesus turns to 12 and asks, do you also wish to go away? You can go to the next slide. Um, he asks this question not because he's genuinely curious about the response, but so that he can ask for the benefit of the 12. He's not asking, do you really wish to go away? Like, I'm getting kind of nervous. You know, all this crowd left me, and it's just down to you 12, and I, I personally picked you out. Are you guys going to go away? But he's not necessarily asking because he's nervous or anxious, but because he wants them to know that they need to be ready to give a response that they must be ready to articulate a response. Now, I don't know where any of you guys are tonight in your own journey with Jesus, and I don't want to necessarily make any false assumptions about that. Um, but if you've been following Jesus for more of your own personal gain than His, and if you've been craving more of the temporary things, and not even considering the bigger eternal things, uh, you've, you've been put on notice tonight. Uh, I'm going to be one of the first ones to raise my hands um, and say that in this season of life I find myself in, I've, I've been seeking Jesus more for uh, my gain rather than his. Now, most of you all know that I have a two-month-old son now, and so uh, my prayer has been, Lord, his, his name's Micah, Lord, help Micah 
sleep and not scream in my ears so that I can get some peace and quiet and, and sleep too. And because we have him now, um, if, if you guys have uh, cousins or siblings that are very, very young, you know that they require a lot of stuff. And so uh, one of my prayers has been, Lord, help us get a second vehicle so that we can travel together as a family comfortably and continue doing ministry-related things. Now, these kinds of prayer requests aren't necessarily bad. Jesus does want to meet our needs, after all. He did feed the 5,000. Um, but if that's all I'm praying, and I'm not necessarily praying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in North Carolina, uh, in Chapel Hill, in Carborough, in UNC, um, in my own home as well, if I'm not praying those prayers, then I'm only living a half reality of what it means to be known and fully known uh, by Jesus and what it means to crave the things that really ultimately matter. You know, Jesus says, do you also wish to go away? Another way that we could kind of put that toward us tonight is, are you fine coasting along? Are you fine uh, doing the minimum? Um, are you fine looking for handouts and simple pleasures when real, lasting joy is presented before you? So Jesus poses this question, do you want to go away too, to the twelve? And Peter says, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of life, of real life, of eternal life. We're already committed, confident that you are the Holy One of God. And earlier in the Gospel, according to John, um, we can go back and read that they themselves had their own personal encounters with Jesus before they even decided to follow Him. Uh, they had seen His miracles, and now they had just heard this very seemingly difficult teaching. And they decided to stick around. Their craving led them to something more. Now, there will be difficult things that will happen in our lives that make no sense in the moment at all. Things that seem like they are out of our power to do something about. Um, you know, I, I told you guys just a couple minutes ago that I had a, I have a two-month-old son. But over a year ago now... Uh, I was sitting with my wife, Brooke, in a, a doctor's office in Connecticut, and uh, sitting across the, the desk uh, from us was the doctor saying, hey, you're basically not going to be able to have kids. Um, yeah, and that was really hard because we had been trying for two years uh, to have kids, and um, for whatever reason, it wasn't happening, and... Facing that reality, my expectation was, oh, you know, when you get married, it, it just happens, you know, and um, it's, it's awesome and all that stuff. And my reality was, it's actually going to be a lot harder. You may not have a family the way you, th you think you're going to have a family. And that, that took a lot to process. Um, you know, we, we would go to Ikea, and Ikea's a lot of fun, um, even if you go just to eat the Swedish meatballs, like it's, it's great. Um, but we would like try and avoid like all the kids' rooms because it'd just be too painful um, at that moment. And so anyway, I say all that to say that there's going to be difficult moments in all of our lives for the rest of our lives, and Jesus is going to be looking at us and asking the, 
asking the question, um, do you also wish to go away? Do you also wish to go away when things get hard, when things get tough, when you hear something that challenges you and calls you to um, sacrifice something? What's our response going to be? How are we going to be able to respond and begin cultivating this dependency on Jesus? Now, for me, I found um, that I'm more inclined to go with Jesus and serve Him and uh, listen to Him when I've been consistently meeting with Him. Um, This means that I have a set time and a set place where I'm not in a hurry to go from one place to the next. Um, I'm not doing verse of the day on my Bible app. Um, if, if, if you're a new Christian, um, there's nothing wrong with verse of the day. It's, it's great to help you um, launch you into that devotional relationship. But if you've been um, feeding yourself verse of the day for years now as a Christian, it's basically like dipping your toes in the water and then going and telling your friends that you went swimming. Um, we can't be shallow Christians in our culture today. We need to be feasting on Jesus. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. When was the last time you enjoyed the taste of something? I know we're all in a hurry and we've all got our um, calendars blocked out. We met somebody yesterday at the when we were doing the pit and uh, Stephen was talking to them actually and said like, hey, you know, you, sh- you should come and they said, oh, my, my, my calendar's all booked up. Like, I don't have any room for anything anymore. And as a result, when we have our calendar so booked up, we don't even taste food anymore. It's like, okay, I got to get something in me. I've only got five minutes before my next class or my next thing. Um, when was the last time you actually tasted something and enjoyed it and savored it and paid attention to the textures and the flavors and all that? That's what cultivating a a life of devotion and reading with Jesus is like. Um, Verse of the day is like, I've got time to scarf down eight-piece Chick-fil-A, but that's it, you know. Let's be people that cultivate a lingering attentiveness to Jesus when we consistently meet with Him and learn to go deep. And we learn to go deep by steps. Um, I'm not saying like, hey, we need to drop everything and go and spend hours upon hours with Jesus. Um, If you jump in a lake and it's 10 feet deep and you don't know how to swim, guess what? You're not swimming. You're drowning. (laughs) We start out gradually and build up to, to go big and deep. You know, swim in three feet, then five feet, then seven feet. Build steps. Um, if, if your devotional time is verse of the day, you know, I, I've been referencing that. If it's verse of the day, spend time reading a whole chapter. You know, start out small and continually build. One of the other things that's really helped me in cultivating and following Jesus and having a dependency on Him has been having a community of believers keep me tethered when I'm frustrated and feel like quitting. Now this requires being transparent, or as we love the word here, vulnerability. Vulnerability. And believing that God can speak through these friends that I've learned to trust, that I've learned to follow, and uh, learned to listen to, to speak into my life. Being transparent enough to say, hey, I'm going through something, Here's that something, and then 
being open to receive from them what, what they would say. Now the thing I like about this kind of community is that it's not necessarily overtly spiritual. Yes, we do have time where we text and, hey, uh, what have you been reading scripture lately? Or um, what's, what's God been laying on your heart in prayer? Or how can I be praying for you? Um, what I mean is that we sometimes just connect and talk for the sake of like saying, hey, um, there's this really good movie out. Um, I want to go watch that. Have you seen it yet? No, I, I want to go watch it too. Or uh, maybe it's a, a good book that we just read and we want to talk about that or we play games. Um, real talk, some, sometimes one of the most spiritually healthy things we can do for ourselves is go and play sand volleyball. That's right. Or take naps. Spiritually healthy things. Sand volleyball. What up? Um, <laughs> cornhole. That's, that's right. Hey, spiritually healthy, it's okay to have fun following Jesus. And um, Tyler has been doing awesome in, in getting that started here. Um, going out, and it's not necessarily for the sake of going out to have fun, though that's a great thing, but it's also to go out and meet people and talk to people and be where they're at. And it just so happens to be crazy fun to go and do. And so if you're looking to go and meet more people, consider doing what? Soccer that's coming up in November? Yeah, soccer. Yeah, great. And basketball. There we go. It's in these kinds of communities that we uh, also sit and have deep personal questions. Uh, these kinds of questions, the answers um, may not appear instantly, but we have a community of friends, of believers, who are willing to get close enough with us and walk alongside of us that we can probably derive a pretty good answer at some point. Anybody know what kind of community I'm talking about? Yeah, all right, there we go. Life groups, yeah, awesome. Yeah, so again, those two things, having a consistent meeting time with Jesus and then having friends, having fellow believers help me, keep me tethered. Those are really the two big anchors that are, um, that are good when uh, life smacks you in the face, when your expectations don't necessarily meet up with your reality. Um, when Jesus looks at you and says, do you also wish to go away? You know, you, you, have, you basically have two responses set before you tonight. Um, you can see Jesus as someone who serves you and looks at you and says, yeah, I've, I've got bread, but I've also got more. If you're willing, if you're willing to go, I'm not going to make you. Um, you know, you can seek Jesus for... Um, praying whatever it is you want to pray for to help you succeed. Um, or you can respond like the, the disciples do, where they hear this teaching. And, you know, I'm sure that they probably had those same expectations too and those, and those hopeful things as well, but they saw something more. They saw something deeper because they've been walking with Jesus and they've been listening to him more than just um, when he has the platform in front of uh, over 5,000 people. Um, and so... For you tonight, where where are you? You know, where are you? Jesus says, "Do you also wish to go away?" And he leaves it up to up to us. And that's a question that we're going to have to answer for the rest of our lives. <clears throat>